Let me tell you a story. I'm five years old, right? I'm helping my mother set the table. I notice that she has one too many plates. So I say to her, Ma, you got one too many plates. You know, and she says back to me, you never know who may show up. I look at her like, what? She walks over to me. She says, you never know who God may bring your way. You always make room. had one of those God moments. <laughs> you know, when you just realize, you say, God just had different plans. He had brought us life in barren places. He hadn't forgotten about us, and he would never leave us alone again. That night, we knelt, we bowed down before this baby boy, and each one of us laid gifts at his feet. We had to, we couldn't help it. 400 years of silence, broken by the cries of the Son of God. I get, I get it. Man, I get why God chose her. I really do. What I don't understand is why he chose me. But as I look down at my son, my redeemer, change everything because he'd already changed me. I'll tell you, I was a different man after that. God chose me. And nobody's ever chosen me for anything. I'll never forget what that angel said, though. The angel said, I bring good news to all people. That means you, too. Whether you're an older person, a younger person, someone of wealth, of poverty, a worker on a farm, a hotel worker, someone who's considered wise as the wise man, or someone with just average intelligence, the average Joe with an average IQ. You and I could trade places with each one of these at the manger scene in the first Christmas. Although it's usually unthought of, uninvestigated, we're just like the people involved in the first Christmas. We've all felt barren places in our life, empty places in our lives. We've all been prompted to, to open our hearts and our lives and our homes to someone who's in need as the innkeeper 
we've all wondered why we were chosen for a particular task and we have all felt undeserving of the favor of God. And dear ones, our God in his sovereign will and grace has chosen to use us and to love us time and time again, over and over again. And that never ceases to amaze me. And this day that we celebrate called Christmas is the most amazing day of the year. It's packed with emotion, with joy, and with wonder, and hope, and sadness sometimes, and faith. There's so much activity that it's packed with, so much celebration, and so much preparation. It also happens to be the time that most industry and companies try to get back into the black. It starts the day after Thanksgiving, and because of that, we as a nation, uh, on, on the most part, have, have bought into a mentality that what you buy someone is what counts and, and that you have to spend a lot of money and you have to get in debt and do all of these things that we normally do at Christmas time. But dear ones, listen to me. The truth is that Christmas is about one main character, one person who came to earth and why he came to earth and his name is Jesus and he is the son of God and he came to save us from our sins. And this main character, Jesus Christ, should still be the main character of our lives, of every Christian, every day of our lives. I'd like to read to you a passage that I believe applies to Christmas time. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. That is the Christmas message, dear ones. That is the work of Calvary that saves you and me from our sin. Now just listen, just as we saw in these six, last three weeks in these six characters, we saw the real human aspect of every one of the characters mixed in with their heavenly purpose. I remind you of what God revealed to me last year and I shared with you last, in a, in a full message last year, Christmas time. But listen to me carefully. I was reminded of this. I remembered it, and so I went back and I looked it up, that beyond the manger, there is a throne, and he is sitting on that throne. And beyond the tree, there is a cross. And he hung on that cross for our sin. And beyond the Christmas wreath is a crown of thorns that was placed on his head. Now listen to me, church. Although many great theologians, some that I, I respect highly, one of them in particular, I read his devotional every day, every, every day, and great theologians preach and, and focus only at this time, and, and, and which I agree 100% with, that Jesus, the Son of God, and the cross is strictly a legal transaction, a transaction that must be dealt with so sin can be dealt with and that the price for our sin can be paid and that God's righteous judgment can be appeased, can be taken care of. 
in the process of redemption, restoring us in right standing, righteousness before God. And I believe in that and I preach it and I believe it in the bottom of my heart. But I've got to tell you, there's part of me on the other side of that scale that has to battle, that has to balance out that legal transaction with a moral transaction which is fueled in my heart, I believe, which is fueled and motivated by love, by love. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him, whoever, whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And at Christmas time, I believe that we should have that same spirit of giving, of sharing, and of loving. Romans 5, 8, uh, 5, 8 through 11, and yet while we were still sinners, and yet while we were still sinners, God sent his son because he loved us and sent them, sent him for us. I love what Max Lucado said. Y'all familiar with the author Max Lucado? And he said this, envision the moment God on his throne, you on earth, and between you and God, suspended between you and heaven, is Christ on the cross. Your sins have been placed on Jesus. God who punishes sin releases his rightful wrath on your mistakes, on your sins. Jesus receives the blow. Since Christ is between you and God, you don't receive it. The sin is punished, but you are safe, safe in the shadow of the cross. This is what God did, but why, he says. Moral duty, heavenly obligation, parental requirements. No, God is required to do nothing. Besides, consider what he did. He gave his son, his only son, would you do that? Would you kill your child for someone else? I wouldn't. Make a list of those for whom you would kill your only son or your only daughter and the sheet would be blank. But God's list, God's list contains the name of every person who has lived for this is the scope of his love he loves the world and I add for God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son so that you can believe in him and have eternal life and that, dear ones, listen, church, that, dear ones, is who and what the main character of Christmas is all about. And his name is Jesus Christ. We saw in the series in the last three weeks that the wise men brought gifts to Jesus in the manger the first Christmas. They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, called the king's medal, suited for nobility, Frankincense used by priests. We still have frankincense in the oil that we use to anoint people with. And then myrrh, which was used as an ointment for burial. 
And how appropriate because Jesus was to become the king of all men, the Lord of lords, the king eternal. He was to become our high priest who would open up the way to God for all sinners. He would become the bridge by which we could come into the presence of God and God in his great love could enter into our lives. And Jesus came lastly to die a criminal's death on a cross to pay for our sins. That's called propitiation, the atoning sacrifice. Now church, dear ones, listen. I remember, Miss Linnell, you may remember this because we did many chapels together. And I remember telling the little ones in chapel year after year, I would tell them, guys, y'all listen to Brother Marshall carefully. I want to tell you what Christmas is kind of like. Christmas is like going to a birthday party. And when you get to the party, the person whose birthday it is is standing at the door, and as you go through the door, he or she gives each one of you a nice present. And then you go and sit down, and the one whose birthday it is starts serving you and making sure that you have cake and making sure that you have everything as though you're the guest of honor. And then when the party is over and you get ready to leave and go home, the birthday boy or the birthday girl has a big stack of presents filled with gifts that last a lifetime and gives you those gifts as you walk out the door to go home. And yet it's their party. That's what Christmas is like. We celebrate, we give each other, and we share gifts. And I'm no Scrooge, I love that, you know that. But we've got to remember that all of this seems at times to be showered out upon us. And it's his party. It's his cross. It's his birth. God coming into the world. God incarnate, the great kenosis passage in Philippians 2. God lands on earth, if you would, and we turn it into everything other than that. What does he give us as we enter into his birthday celebration? He gives us first, and we, we've read it, the gift of forgiveness, 1 John 1, 9. And if you confess your sins... He is faithful and true and just to forgive you those sins and restore you unto all righteousness. He gives you the gift of forgiveness because of the work of the cross. He gives you the gift of eternal life, Romans 6, 23. 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 6.23, the wages of sin are death. But God gives you the gift of life eternal through his son, Christ Jesus. So we have an eternity that he gives us. We have the gift of family membership, John 1.12, for all who call on his name, all who receive him and call on his name, have the right to be called children of God, his family. He gives us the gift of guidance through life's difficult times, John 8.12, where you don't know what to do or where to turn, and he says, look at the road map. Go and investigate the word and listen to the soft, still, small voice of the Holy Spirit that will guide you in those times. He gives us, at his party, 
the gift of fruitfulness and significance. If we abide in him, John 15, abiding as he feeds us, as we abide to the trunk, as we latch on to the vine. He gives us the gift of his company forever. John 17, Jesus praying the real Lord's prayer and he says, Father, that I can be one with them and they with me as I am with you forever and eternity. He gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Go and tarry and wait for I'm sending to you. He gives us his spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity who empowers us and lives in us. We are given gifts for his celebration. And what can we give him in return? What could we possibly humbly give the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Son of God, the one who created us? What can we give him at this time of year? How about the throne of your heart? You see, that's all he really wants, your heart. He wants your heart to step down off of that throne of your control and your will and your way and say, Lord, your heart overtake my heart. Our selfish self surrendered to him. Our worship of things and money and position surrendered to him. Our closest relationships even laid at the altar of the cross. Our right to be right surrendered to him. Our hurt, our discouragement, our unforgiveness surrendered to him. The throne of our heart. Where is your heart? Lord, I give you my heart. And all of those things that it means. All that I am and all that I have. And that's what he wants this Christmas. How about our bodies as his temple? Romans 12, 1 and 1 Corinthians 3, 16. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but be sober in judgment. We have different gifts. Use them in proportion to his faith. Now, if you unpack that, this is what it's, it, what's really there. If you unpack it, listen. Use your physical body, the temple of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 3, for God's purpose, not for worldly gain or lust. Glorify him, and that will bless his heart. How about giving him this Christmas our love and service given to others. Listen, church, listen, listen. Our love and service given to others. John 13, 35 and Matthew 22, 37. 13, 35, and they will know that you are my disciples by the love that you share for each other. And in Matthew, what is the greatest of these commandments? Tell, tell us, teacher, what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. The first is the greatest, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, dear ones, at this Christmas time, think about this just for a second. Think with me. Just, just stretch your mind a little bit. Not spending one penny on yourself and buying gifts that you bring to the nursing home and to the hospital and to the prison and delivering them 
personally on Christmas Eve. Think with me just for a second. Stretch your imagination. Do we know of an orphanage anywhere that we could drive to? Would you go and visit it? Do we know any elderly people who are alone this Christmas who would love just to visit and maybe a little bag of cookies where you could sit with them, hold their hand, and pray with them? Do we know any single people who have nowhere to go, who have just gone through a divorce, single people who have just gone lost, widowers or, or widows who are alone and who are empty? Do you know any sick people? You see, you don't have to go very far. This Christmas Eve, you can go to any hospital, go to any nurse's station, and if you're afraid, I'll call the hospital administrator for you, and you can go up and down those halls and just knock on the door on Christmas Eve and say, just wanted to come and tell you Merry Christmas and see how you're feeling. See what will happen in your life because, you see, you'll be giving the best present to Jesus on his day. How about our worship and praise as long as we have breath? We worship him beyond Christmas Day. We worship him as long as we can. We live like he truly would want us to. We love like he loves us and we give like he gave to us. Now I'm gonna read a story I read every year a story. It might be kind of hard with this mic. Is this one working? No, it's not working at all. Brother Kirk, you might have to come hold this for me. And I want you all to listen to this. This is my Christmas story book. I read one or two from it every year, and you all indulge me every year because you've heard some of them. You've heard this one a few years back. I read it. But this is what Christmas is all about, this story. I want you all to hear it. It's about our Savior on the cross. Could you come on this side? But this is what our heart should all be. Listen carefully. I grew up believing that Christmas was a time when strange and wonderful things happened, when wise and royal visitors came riding. When at midnight, the barnyard animals talked to one another, and in the light of a fabulous star, God came down as a child. Christmas, to me, has always been a time of enchantment, and never more than the year my son Morty was eight. That was a year my children and I moved into a cozy trailer home in a forested area just outside Richmond, Virginia. I mean, Washington. As the holiday approached, our lighted spirits could not be dampened even by the winter rains that swept down Puget Sound to douse our house and make our floors muddy. Throughout that December, Morty had been the most spirited and busiest of us all. He was my youngest cheerful boy, blonde and playful, with a quaint habit of looking up at you and cocking his head to the side like a puppy when you spoke to him. The reason for this was that Morty was deaf in his left ear. 
but it was a condition he never complained about. For weeks I had been watching Morty. I knew something was going on that he wasn't telling me about. I saw how eagerly he made his bed, took out the trash, and carefully set the table and helped his brother and sister prepare dinner before I got home from work. I saw how he silently collected his allowance and tucked it away, not spending a cent of it. I had no idea what all this quiet activity was about, but I suspected it had something to do with Kenny. You see, Kenny was Morty's friend. And ever since they found each other in the springtime, they were seldom apart. If you called to one, you got them both. Their world was in the meadow, a horse pasture broken by a small, windy stream, winding stream, where they caught frogs and snakes, searched for arrowheads, hidden treasures, and spent the afternoon feeding peanuts to squirrels. Times were hard for our family, and we had to do some skimping to get by. Thanks to my job as a meat wrapper, and a lot of ingenuity, we managed to have elegance on a shoestring. You ever been there? But not Kenny's family. They were desperately poor, and his mother was struggling to feed and clothe her two children. They were a good, solid family, but Kenny's mom was a proud woman, and she had strict rules. How we worked, as we did each year, to make our home festive for the holidays, Ours was a handcrafted Christmas of gifts hidden away and ornaments strung about the place. Morty and Kenny sometimes sat still at the table enough to help me make cornucopias and weave baskets for the tree. But then one whispered to the other and they were out the door in a flash, sliding cautiously under the electric fence into the horse pasture that separated our home from Kenny's. One night shortly before Christmas, when my hands were deep and pepper dough, shaping the nut like Danish cookies, heavily spiced with cinnamon, Morty came to me and said in a tone mixed with pleasure and pride, Mom, I bought Kenny a Christmas present. Want to see it? So that's what he's been up to, I thought. It's something he's wanted for a long, long time, Mom. After carefully wiping his hands on a dish towel, he pulled out a small box from his pocket, lifted the lid, and gazed at the pocket compass. Guys, you remember what compasses were? My son had been saving all his allowance to buy. It's a lovely gift, Morton, I said. But even as I spoke, a disturbing thought came to mind. I knew how Kenny's mother felt about their poverty. They could barely afford to exchange gifts themselves. I was sure she would not permit her son to receive something he could not return in kind. Gently and carefully, I talked over the problem with Morty. He understood. He said, I know, Mom, I know. But what if it was a secret? What if they never found out who gave it? I didn't know how to answer him. And the day before Christmas, it was rainy, cold, and gray. The three kids and I fell over one another as we elbowed our way in the home, putting finishing touches. Night settled in. The rain continued. I looked out the window over the sink and felt an odd sadness. How mundane the rain seemed for Christmas Eve. Would wise men come out on such a night? I doubted it. It, turned, it seemed to me that strange and wonderful things happen only on clear nights. I turned from the window, and as I checked on the ham, I saw Morty slip out the door. He was wearing a coat over his pajamas, and he clutched a tiny, colorfully 
rat box. Down through the soggy pasture he went, then under the electric fence, across the yard to Kenny's house, up the steps on tiptoes, opened the screen door just a crack and placed the gift at the doorstep. Took a deep breath, reached for the doorbell and pressed it hard. Quickly, Marty turned and ran down the steps across the yard in a wild race to get away unnoticed. And then suddenly, bang, he ran into the electric fence. The shock sent him reeling. He lay stunned on the wet ground. His body tingled, grasped for breath, and slowly, confused and frightened, he began the grueling trip back home. Morty, I cried. What happened? What happened? I forgot about the fence, Mom. It knocked me down. I hugged his muddy little body. He was still dazed, and there was a red mark where a blister was starting on his face from his mouth to his ear. Quickly, I treated the blister with a warm cup of cocoa, soothing him. His bright spirits returned. I tucked him into bed, and just before he fell asleep, I looked up and said, up to me and said, Mom, Kenny didn't see me. I'm sure he didn't see me. That Christmas Eve, I went to bed unhappy and puzzled. It seemed what a cruel thing to happen to a little boy who was doing what the Lord wants us to do, giving to others and in secret. I didn't sleep well that night. Somewhere deep inside, I must have been feeling the disappointment that Christmas had come and been just an ordinary, problem-filled night. But I was wrong. By morning, the rain stopped. And the sun shone. And the streak on Morty's face was red. But I could tell the burn wasn't that serious. We opened our presents, and soon, unexpectedly, Kenny was knocking on the door, eager to show Morty his new compass and tell of the mystery of how it had gotten there. It was plain that Kenny didn't have a clue that Morty had brought it. And they talked and smiled and laughed. And then I noticed while the two boys were comparing their Christmases, nodding and gesturing and chatting, Morty wasn't cocking his head while Kenny was talking. Morty seemed to be listening with his deaf ear. Weeks later, a report came from the school nurse verifying what I already knew. Marty now had complete hearing in both ears. How Marty regained his hearing, I still don't know. Doctors suspect that the shock from the electric fence might have had something to do with it. Perhaps so. Whatever the reason, I am thankful to God for the good exchange of gifts that made that night. So you see, dear ones, church, Strange and wonderful things still happen on the night of our Lord's birth. And one does not have to have a clear night 
in order to follow a fabulous star. Jesus is our Lord. Jesus, the Son of God, who came from heaven to earth to pay a debt, our debt, motivated by love, the one who is love. And we celebrate him on this wonderful time of year called Christmas.